Have you guys heard of this word discipleship? Six of you have? Fantastic. My work is cut out for me this morning. Have you heard of this word discipleship? What does it mean? Follow, following? What else? Being disciplined. Yes? Being with Jesus. Spreading the gospel. Leading someone in growth. Good. Abiding. Leave it to the, uh, the actor to get all conceptual. Um, what's your image of a disciple? When I say the word disciple, what image pops into your head? The 12, the number 12. Very biblical. What else? What image pops in your head? I'm sorry? Giving birth? <laughs> Giving birth. Well, yeah. She's a mom. I cannot hear you. Something about people. Ordinary people, some of whom have louder voices than others. I, teamwork counts. Um, my image of a disciple is uh, just someone who's uh, just very lean and hardened. You know, I think of like uh, the, the grizzled army sergeant who's been in battle for years. Or uh, the athlete who's just chiseled. Uh, for performance, or the ballet dancer who's, you know, every, every part of, of his or her body, every sinew is just structured and strengthened for the dance. You know, you look at them, these are people who have trained, right? People who have led a life of exertion and discipline. It's that image with a smile on the person's face. Uh, because there uh, is some, some quality of the disciple that requires enthusiasm. Yes? I think so. Discipleship, if I were to find discipleship, I would say discipleship means effortful growth. Growth that takes a, a lot of effort. Uh, and I think that's true in anything, right? The, the, milita the military disciple has gotten that way through effortful growth. The athletic disciple has gotten that way through effortful growth. But we'll be talking, of course, about the kingdom disciple, about the follower of Jesus. But just two things I want to make clear. Discipleship takes effort, and discipleship requires growth. Effortful growth. Effort, growth. In your life, you are a disciple of Jesus if you are applying effort and getting growth in that pursuit. Amen? Amen. Got it so far? Still with me? Right now you are applying effort to stay awake in the stuffy auditorium. If you do, by the end of the day you will grow because I preach that well. Uh, it requires growth. You know, in the kingdom of God, it's grow or stagnate. Jesus is always comparing the kingdom to a plant, to a tree, to a bush or something like that. Plants grow. If they're not growing, they're dead. There is really no middle ground, and I think the same is true for the Christian disciple. Or I like to think about a swimmer 
uh, swimming across a, a, a large, hard-flowing river. Uh, if the swimmer is not applying effort, the swimmer is drifting downstream, right? Either you are applying effort and growing, or you are drifting down into worldly destinations. Uh, the current of the world is moving, and there is no such thing as standing still. Hard to stand still in the kingdom of God because the world has a strong current. Jesus never said to anyone, oh, you want in? Then believe what I believe. Agree with me or believe these principles. He never said that. What did Jesus say when someone was interested in getting into the kingdom of God? Follow me. If you want to be part of this, let's go. Let's move. Effortful growth. It's an activity. <laughs> it's a journey. It's enterprise, however, however you want to conceive of it. The bottom line is that this Jesus thing requires a great deal of effort. And it should be expanding in our life. We're called to be disciples, and we're called to make disciples. The kingdom is about being disciples. It's about effortful growth. The kingdom requires discipleship. There, I made my point. You follow me so far? Everybody get it? Uh, so the image that pops into your head when I say the word disciple, that's probably a really important image in your life. I mean, in life, you can tell uh, among, among, you know, believers, you can tell who puts in effort and who does not put in effort. And, and I... I mean no judgment. There's no judgment in, in the kingdom of God, no judgment uh, in this house. But, but you can tell. You can tell. This has been a season of reunions uh, for me over the last uh, several months. I just went to my 30th high school reunion. Uh, that, was, that was charming. That was, that was surreal. Uh, I really enjoyed it, I'll tell you the truth, but it came in a, at a tough time. Um, but good to see some old friends, uh, many of whom were doing surprisingly well, <laughs> um, and, and uh, a number of whom had come to the Lord. And over there, some, some have come to the Lord because stuff, of stuff I did in high school 30 years ago, which is very encouraging to me. Um, yeah, that's, that's helpful. That's encouraging. Uh, and then some people who are believers that have just drifted off, time will tell. And I think the difference is, is effort. Uh, I think of, of college friends that Sony and I have, have gotten to see uh, this past year after ha having not seen them uh, for a while. Um, again, I have that same feeling. Given you know, a couple decades of history, you can look at someone and know if they've made effortful growth or if they've drifted downstream. You can immediately tell. You know, it's, it's real. It has results. Discipleship has results. We have one friend who, when I was in college, was an intense disciple and a, and a powerful, healthy influence on me, who somewhere along the line, four or five years after graduation, just stopped making the effort. And uh, he drifted into self-justification and stagnation and recently just entirely blew up his life. I mean, it's, 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 it's a mess. But I, I think the root of it is not, you know, a huge mistakes. The root of it is just stopping the effort, the stopping discipleship. Over a lifetime, it's not belief that makes the difference, it's discipleship that makes the difference, if that makes sense. Uh, my wife uh, was, uh, we went to bed last night, she was reading 
uh, a bit from the uh, Danish existential Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. I know this is a really big book in the church. Um, Christian existentialism. We, uh, Sonia and I bonded over Kierkegaard uh, when we were college students. And so we got a couple copies of this lying around. Kierkegaard, his master uh, piece, work, work of love. Anyway, uh, this is, is basically a really, really smart guy who was quite depressed, having a difficult time uh, with faith in the world, writing a book to kind of figure out how to think about Jesus and following him. And this is a quote that she read to me last night I thought was good. <clears throat> People try to persuade us that the objections against Christianity spring from doubt. That is a complete misunderstanding. The objections against Christianity spring from insubordination, the dislike of obedience, rebellion against authority. As a result, people have hitherto been beating the air in their struggle against objections. They've been fighting intellectual objections, in other words. Because they have fought intellectually with doubt instead of fighting morally with rebellion. In other words, what defeats us in spiritual life is not intellectual questions. You know, it's not, it's not belief or disbelief. What defeats us in life is our unwillingness to respect God, right? What defeats us is that little rebellious attitude. What defeats us more often than not is foot dragging. It's that attitude that kills us, and if it doesn't kill us, it stunts us, and if it doesn't kill and stunt us, it makes us unfruitful. And that's, that's pretty much uh, how the kingdom of God gets uh, defeated and edited in the world. Here's an example that's a little bit mundane. Uh, you know, it's not a big deal, uh, which is why I use it for an illustration. Uh, showing up late to church. I know none of you do it. I was keeping track today. Uh, as near I can tell, somewhere around 85% of you showed up late to church today. Now, this does not cripple us entirely as a church, and it doesn't totally cripple us practically when we do our, our Sunday service, but it communicates and manifests disrespect. It's foot-dragging. It's a little rebellion. You would not show up till late to work every day, but, but most of us, almost all of us, show up late to church every week. Uh, and is that a sin? No, I probably would not put that in the sin category. Is it insubordination? Is it foot dragging? Yes, it is. Gotcha. That's absolutely uh, what's, what's going on. And, uh, and, it, and it, what it does is it, it sucks the order out of the place. It sucks the ordination. Insubordination, it sucks the ordination. It sucks the respect out of the atmosphere when we enter in a spirit of just kind of foot dragging and, and disrespect. And what we do is we sing of God's surpassing worth. And, and, I, and I preach on the value of sacrifice and commitment, but, but we've already shot ourselves in the foot by manifesting foot dragging and disrespect at the beginning of our gathering, uh, which is the biggest thing that we all do together every week, right? Come on, admit it, right? That's what's going on. This is the thing. This is the toxin. I'm not sure that that event is going to ruin us, you know. That's not what I'm saying. 
but it's one that we can all appreciate uh, because we see it all the time. And in life, there are lots of ways in which I show up late to church frequently. If, if I were to be real about it. Maybe habitually, these little rebellions, these self-entitlements, foot-draggings, poor efforts, and ultimately sins. Uh, a lack of discipline, a lack of, say the word, discipleship. Um, and this is a common problem. It is the problem of the people of faith. And naturally, Jesus addresses this problem in his teachings. But he doesn't address it like I'd think he uh, would address it. He doesn't say, hey, you disrespectful so-and-sos, shape up because God is God, you lazy bums. Show some respect. He does not say that. Instead, he says, hey, guys, remember that the effort you put in is absolutely worth it. That's what he says. And he encourages us to constantly think about how worth it it is. So let me ask you, why is it good to follow Jesus? Why is this a great deal? Why is sitting in a rundown, stuffy gym in, in Palama exactly where you want to be today? Because God is worth it. Thank you very much. You may move to the front of the class. Oh, you're at the front of the class. Proves my point. <laughs> she sits in front. The best ones always do. The best ones do. Uh, but, you know, you can ask yourself that. Why is it good to follow Jesus? It's not easy. It takes a lot of time and effort, a lot of discomfort. Sometimes it takes virtually all of our resources. Sometimes we have to go off to international places without any resources. Uh, sometimes we're going to, you know, pledge 100 bucks a month uh, to it. Uh, maybe we don't feel like we have. Um, just, just all examples from this morning. It's a lifelong commitment. For some of us, it's a commitment unto death. Being a disciple of Jesus is quite a job, so it better be worth it. Uh, why is it worth it? One of the biggest things that Jesus taught people was that it is worth it. He said it repeatedly in numerous ways. If you go through the Gospels, this is one of his favorite subjects. He says it often, which tells you, one, that it truly is worth it. And two, there are probably going to be lots of occasions in our life where we need to remind ourselves that it is. As Jesus feels the need to say it so frequently. Uh, examples of some of my favorite scriptures of Jesus just really asserting that discipleship Effortful growth is worth it. John chapter 10, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. This isn't just about escaping uh, death at the end. No, this is about a richness of life that you have scarcely imagined. Uh, from Hebrews uh, 11, and without faith it is impossible to please God because... Anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Right? You have to believe that God exists and you have to believe that it's rewarding, that it is totally worth it. And you have to earnestly seek that reward. In other words, put some effort into it. Otherwise, according to this, you can't come to God. You won't make it, in other words. 
right? It's not that God will push you away. It's that you just won't make it. You'll drift downstream. Um, you won't make it unless you consider the rewards and, and, and put, in, put in the discipleship. Um, what's the opposite of love? The opposite of love is not hate. Because hate is at least passionate. The opposite of love is apathy. Indifference, I heard somebody say. Or in, in Bible parlance, it's, it's what Jesus calls being lukewarm. The opposite of discipleship is not, it's not unbelief. The opposite of discipleship is lukewarmness, sort of this uh, indifference. Uh, Jesus, speaking in the book of Revelation, uh, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, Jesus. I know your deeds. He's talking to a church. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need anything, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Just to put a point on it. I counsel you to buy, to buy from me gold refined in fire, the hard pure bit, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your, your nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and, do you know it? Discipline. So be earnest. In other words, work hard. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. It does not get any better than that. That would be cool. That's a nice job. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says uh, to, the, to the church. In the end, I don't think God destroys people because he's angry at their sins per se. In the end, the people who get destroyed are the people who are harmful to the other people. Right? God has to put down the rabid dogs, in other words. And according to this passage, the harmful attitude is lukewarmness. That's what gets us spit out of his mouth. And that's really sobering. You know, we do not want to spread apathy is the message. Apathy is the cancer. Apathy is the cancer. Even more so than disbelief. Does Satan believe in God? Absolutely. Does Satan respect God? No. That's the cancer. That's the thing that has threatened to ruin the universe. Apathy. Insubordination. Rebellion. Foot dragging. That, whatever you call that, that's the attitude that discipleship fights against. Anyway, that's the issue. And in your life with God, you know, there are so many decisions for us to make. Uh, on, a, on a daily basis, there are sacrificial decisions, both big and small, both typical normal ones and then occasionally extreme ones, you know? So many of them that really the only way to make it through is to decide once and for all that this effort, that discipleship, is truly worth it. That's the fight. That's the, that's the goal right there. At least that's the target that gets us our goal. Um, if, you, if you don't decide that it's worth it, 
then you really can't stay on target. And instead, invariably, you'll start making decisions based on what looks good in the moment or what you desire now instead of what is worth it in the end. You'll start by dragging your feet. That's how it will start. Uh, and then you'll be mildly insubordinate. You'll start getting grumpy with God or grumpy about the things of God. Uh, but then that will set the stage for bigger trouble and then eventually some nastier sorts of rebellion. That's how it goes. Most immediately it will stunt you. You will stop growing. And when you stop growing, you will start drifting downstream for sure. Uh, but it will make you unfruitful as well because it's hard to make disciples if you're not really a disciple. You know, you can talk all you want about how cool it would be to grow the church and to win souls, but if you're not a disciple, you're not going to make it. This is worth it, I think. Is this worth it? I think this is worth it. And I think it's worth focusing on how worth it it is. Jesus is better. What's the thing you're struggling with in life? Say it with me. Jesus is better. Jesus is the best part. The kingdom is better than anything else that anyone could offer you. You think that's true? And if you do think it's true, do you think a lot about how true it is? Because I think that's really the key to discipleship. You got to know the value of discipleship like you know nothing else in life, if you want to stay on it. My uh, scripture for the day uh, comes from Matthew 13, and it's just Jesus' it's quite famous description of the attitude uh, that makes us disciples. Uh, it's, it's just a short parable among many that Jesus teaches on the nature of this thing called the kingdom of God, the order of God on earth. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Um, this is actually would be a very familiar thing uh, to the Jewish people of Jesus' day. They had, on occasion, been victims of great persecution more than once in their history. They had to gather everything they owned, all of their disciples, and leave the country. And on the way, people would bury their valuables in places in hopes of coming back years later and finding them and reclaiming them. But, of course, not all of them came back, so it was not uncommon to find buried treasure. Um, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, smile, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. For some reason, I got caught off. Uh, in his joy, he goes, sells everything he has, buys the pearl. The pearl of great price, it is frequently called. Right? The pearl that's worth uh, everything. So what Jesus is describing here is not like, he's, he's not really trying to specify and to detail how valuable the kingdom is. What he is describing here is, is the attitude of the discoverers, right? What you want to focus on is the attitude of the person who stumbles upon the treasure in the field. And that attitude is what characterizes the kingdom of God. What would you call the attitude? Oh, wow, a treasure. This is awesome. I'm going to give up everything and get it. Your inclination might be, well, what's in the treasure? <laughs> but really, Jesus is saying, consider the attitude, the zeal, the passion, the enthusiasm, enthusiasm from entheos in God. What would you call it? But that's what we have to have if we are going to be uh, disciples. The kingdom of God is like 
people just considering it of surpassing worth. Uh, it's a good trade. And we can act like it. That's okay. We can act like it's worth it. Um, I, I like Mark 10, be our last scripture of the day. Uh, in Mark 10, Jesus is, it's that, it's that famous teaching that uh, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. It's like, you know, if you have a lot of worldly comforts, it actually makes it very hard for you to live in the kingdom of God because you feel like you have too much to sacrifice, too much to give up. It's hard to be a disciple if your eyes are dazzled by worldly uh, goodies. But that flew in the face of the theology of the day. The theology of the day was if you're rich, God really likes you because he has blessed you and made you rich. Wealth was a sign of God's great favor and approval. And one of Jesus' most revolutionary teachings was like, oh, no, 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 no. Wealth can really be a curse. And it can be a sign that people have prioritized the right thing. And this troubles the disciples. And, and, and they say, uh, well, then who can get in? If even the rich people, the favored people can't get in, then I'm like, what hope do we have? And then Peter spoke up in Mark 10 at the end and said, we've left everything to follow you. You know, as if to say, do we have a chance? We've really committed to this. I'm a little worried. You've stressed me out. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied. Again, Jesus never never answers the question that was asked. He always answers the question that should have been asked. And Jesus, uh, Peter is saying, we've left everything to follow you. Approve of us. You know, tell us that we've paid enough. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children in the field, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Um, if you are living a life of discipleship, one, it will improve your earthly life. You just have to be aware enough to perceive it. I've always said, I, I have, I found family, I, I, I've taken family wherever I found it. You know, I have, uh, I have a really small biological family. Uh, there aren't too many of us left. Um, I was the only one in my generation. Uh, I have a huge family, though. You know, homes, brothers, sisters. I can go to almost every corner of America. I can go to a dozen countries, show up unannounced, knock on somebody's door, and they will take me and my family in, no questions asked. You couldn't buy that kind of security. But I can do that. I don't have two nickels to rub together, but I have a thousand homes. You know? If, if, I, if I need someone to talk to, the problem is there are too many phone numbers in my phone. Uh, you know, any number of people would love me and do their best for me. Brothers, sisters, um, fields. I've got purpose, you know? Um, I just have to be aware of it all. It would be easy for me to put on blinders and not appreciate that. Uh, but Jesus is saying, oh, no, you're just relationally, vocationally, really, really wealthy, all of you. Now, you're going to get persecutions, too. In other words, this is hard. This is going to be difficult, but it's totally worth it. Oh, oh, plus you get to live forever. That's a topper. 
That's like the, but wait, there's more on the infomercials. Eternal life. We'll be going through some of these sorts of things that Jesus promises us in order to meditate on how worth it it is. But for now, you know, it's worth it, and we need to appreciate that. Do you think it's worth it? Uh, do you regularly, routinely think about how worth it it is? That's the key. Maybe every day you have to think about how worth it is. Why do we sing to God? Many of us don't even like singing. Why do we sing these songs? We're rehearsing at a heart level that it's worth it and that Jesus is worth it. We practice trusting that it's worth it. And if you don't do that, you'll drift. Um, do you think it's, it's well worth it? Or do you think it's something you have to do or ought to do? Is the kingdom of God something that you get to do? Or is it something that you just kind of do uh, because? This is one attitude, one perception that makes a ton of difference in life. I'm telling you. I've lived long enough now. I've seen enough of my friends go through it. This attitude is huge. And you have to check yourself. Are you manifesting the foot-dragging attitude or are you manifesting the discipleship attitude? You have to, you have to get on that. Everything hangs in the balance when you get right down to it. And what can we do to grasp it better and more consistently? How can we get the joy that comes with the kingdom grind? Well, here are a few tips, and we'll just leave it here today. Tip number one, think about it a lot. How worth it is it? I'm going to be asking you that question a lot uh, in the weeks to come. And you should be able to shout out answers. Think about it. Is this worth it to me? Okay, why is this worth it to me? TJ, why is this worth it to me? It's every Tuesday morning, right? Why are we doing this? <laughs> tell, tell me this? Okay, yeah. But we're asking that question uh, all the time. Um, think about it constantly. Number two, encourage it in one another. Encourage that discipleship attitude, that attitude of value in one another. One great way to do that is testimonies, which is why I gave so much time to testimonies today. It's like, no, we got to hear these stories because these are people just like you who are passionate, and you need to know that that's possible and profitable and joyful. And so we will continue uh, to do that. Testify to one another. Prophecies are great for it. Signs that we do. When you heal someone, it doesn't really prove eternal life, but that's a sign of great worth, is it not? And I love stuff like that. Number three, pursue God with great respect. Americans are not very respectful people. Um, but we need to pursue God with great respect. Not, not just pursuing the, thing, the things of God, but pursue God himself. Because some of our rewards come later. It's important to get a feel for God's character now. Because if you get to feel his character, then you know you can trust him for a payoff in eternity. Um, so you have to get to know him, his character. That means being respectful of him and expressing respect of him because if you don't respect it habitually, you will not grow in it. If the water does not flow out, it gets stagnant within you. So you have to express respect. Your, your words toward him, your worship of him has to be very respectful. This has been the hardest year of my life for numerous reasons. And the second hardest year was last year. <laughs> it's just been a great run. Uh, and the choice before me consistently has been about how I interact with God. Do I complain 
or do I appreciate? That's my battle. Any amens out there? I'm going to sow in complaint or I'm going to sow in appreciation. And in that distinction hangs my discipleship. The one brings emptiness, the other clarity and strength, ultimately. You know, I feel that difference. Uh, so I'm, I'm choosing discipleship. It's worth it, right? Help me out here. This has been the hardest year of my life, and I am choosing discipleship. Where are you, Blue Water? Where's my community? Where are my brothers and sisters? And you better do it for one another as well. Right? When somebody says something like that, you're like, oh, it's worth it. Fantastic. You excite me. Now I'm just, now I'm just begging for it. Uh, and then community, which is what I'm getting at. Generate community. The most valuable tool in my life is my community of discipleship. Right, because they keep me real. And I think God has great things in store for us. I think we're appointed to gather. I think we're appointed to make a lot of disciples in the very near future, both here and abroad. I think we will be experiencing some rare and wonderful things. And I'm going to go for it, and the path is discipleship. So let's pray about that. Uh, Father, uh, we thank you uh, for our rundown, super humid, stuffy gym and for all the purpose and promise that it contains. We pray that you would uh, grow us up in you, uh, in unity and in discipleship. Uh, I pray that uh, you give us a, a taste. Um, and that as we taste, uh, we would be able to see and manifest. Uh, we. We seek to follow you, Jesus. Turn us into disciples. Make us your disciples. Choose us and develop us, Lord. You discipline those whom you love. Love us, Lord. Make us strong. In Jesus' name, amen.